Well, it is, uh, it's nice to be able to talk to people right near you now, isn't it? Uh, this has been a, a great day already for us, and it's only going to get better. It's my privilege to introduce a really good friend of mine, Steve Nicholson. Steve is the founding pastor of the Evanston Vineyard in the Chicago area, been on the National Vineyard Leadership Team for many years, and we've been friends for over 30 years. And I, I remember one of my first interactions uh, was... Uh, well, after having met Steve, we were having a family night at my house. I think we were watching Fiddler on the Roof. My kids were little then. And Steve calls me, and with permission, he said, would you consider planting a church sometime? And I said, oh, you've just ruined my family night. I'm not going to be able to do anything now. And, but that started us on a two-year journey, and then Steve helped us uh, plant River Heights 30-plus uh, 30, 30 years ago and has been a great friend and mentor to us and coach. And he's been coaching Pete as well. And so I'm excited for you to have a chance to hear him. He's going to be back in October 7 to 9 for a conference on the Holy Spirit, which we are super excited about. So let's welcome Steve. Good morning, everybody. It's really great to be here, to be a, a part of things here. And I've been... Uh, praying for you and watching what God is doing here for many years, so um, it's, it's great to see you. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which if you haven't read it, you really are missing out, the land of Narnia is suffering under the rule of the White Witch, and for a hundred years it has always been winter, but never Christmas. Always cold, always suffering, full of fear, with no mercy and no hope. Never Christmas. And in real life, that was very much the way it was for the Jews of first century Palestine. They were under Roman rule, so they were being occupied by a foreign power. The Romans generally uh, had little interest in showing respect for the values or concerns of the people they ruled. It, it, it was a uh, brutal uh, regime. You know, they, they would just about as soon kill you as look at you. And uh, the religious hierarchy was corrupt. And for over 400 years, there had not been a generally recognized prophet of God. There was that sense of God working, they hadn't really seen much in 400 years. It almost seemed like God was silent and had forgotten them. And if you think about 400 years, that's a long time ago. 400 years ago, the colonization of America by Europeans was just beginning. So that gives you a sense of how long ago that really is. So they'd been waiting for 400 years. They were suffering. They were in trouble. But then wondrous things began to happen. And it began with a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was a Levite, a priest, and he was a righteous man. But he and his wife, Elizabeth, had no children, and they were now getting quite old, and it seemed pretty certain they were not going to have children. As it happened, 
Zechariah's division, because they were divided into groups to take turns doing the temple duty, his division was up, and then by lot, he was chosen for the most special job, which was to go inside and burn incense before the altar of the Lord. And while he was doing his service, suddenly an angel appeared to him, announcing to him that he and his wife would have a son who was to be named John. And John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and would be great in the Lord, the one who would prepare the way for the long-awaited Messiah who would make everything right that was wrong in the world. But Zechariah expressed doubt to the angel, saying, how can this be? We're basically too old to have children. And the angel said, because of your doubt, you will be unable to speak until the day of John's birth. The lesson of that is don't mess with God. He can play hardball. <laughs> so it happened. From that day, Zechariah could not speak. And his wife became pregnant. And while she was pregnant, interestingly, she was visited by her relative, possibly a cousin named Mary, with an even more amazing story of being visited by the same angel and becoming pregnant herself by the Holy Spirit, bearing the long-ago promised Messiah. So anyway, the day of John's birth finally came, and the baby was born, and the way they worked it is the baby would be named in a special ceremony seven days later. And so when the naming ceremony came around, because Zechariah couldn't speak, they asked Elizabeth, what's his name? And she said, John. But they said, no, that can't be right. You don't have anybody in your family named John. So they said, we need to check with dad. So they got a writing tablet and asked him in writing, and he wrote down, his name is John. And at that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again, and when he was, his sort of tongue was loose and he was able to speak, he broke out into a song that's also a prophecy. He like immediately starts prophesying, and that's what I want to look at today. It's, it's in, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, and I love these early chapters of Luke uh, Luke was a younger man. He came after all of these events, and so he went and interviewed all the witnesses. And the early stories, which we often think of as sort of the, the Christmas story, are probably Mary's stories. He, he talked to Mary, and uh, this is her, 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 she probably told him about this. So here's how it goes. Luke 1, 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us 
from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. All this, he said, would happen because of the tender mercy of our God. Our God is a God of tender mercy. He is not a God of reluctant mercy. Like, he's not, he's not sitting up there like, oh, well, I guess I got to be merciful. I guess I got to let him off the hook. You know, I don't really want to, but I'll forgive you, you know, if you grovel enough. No, it's not like that at all. He's like so eager to give us his mercy. He's full of compassion and tenderness towards us and towards our suffering and our brokenness. You know, in times of trouble, and we've been in trouble, we're kind of still in trouble. In times of trouble, we need to know that our God stands ready to give us tender mercy. That he has already given us an abundance of tender mercy. You know, if we could just really grasp and hold and understand the tender mercy of our God, then we would no longer be suffering in fear and doubt and darkness. You know, all the time people reject God. They reject his ways because they don't realize that he's full of tender mercy towards them. If, if they could only know his tenderness towards them, his care for them, his mercy, they, they would have a completely different reaction. If we could understand fully and hang on to it, the greatness of his tender mercy to us, we would no longer suffer wondering if he's forgotten us or wondering if the promises of God are true. I get it. When we've waited so long, it's easy to wonder, will it really happen? Will he really come? Will God's promises be true? That's certainly where Zechariah, a good man, had come. He was not sure it would really happen. But then he was overtaken by the tender mercy of our God, and his life was changed. His heart was changed. His family was changed. His thinking was changed, all because of the tender mercy of his God. How, then, have we seen the tender mercy of God? First of all, he came. He came. Our God came in the person of Jesus, who's known as Emmanuel, God with us. When we least expected him, he came. He did not stay in heaven just watching the mess we've made of things. He did not leave us alone in our misery. He came. He does not now leave us alone. 
He looked for us until he found us and won us. You know how it is. Most of us didn't go looking for God. God found us. Yeah, and he chased us down. I bet if we went around the room and I listened to your stories, there would be a lot of stories of God chasing you down. Looking for you and finding you and bringing you in. That's how it goes. He came. Remember today, how did God come into your life? You know, you didn't earn it. You may not have been even all that interested in him. But he came and he found you. And wherever you were, whatever you were doing, he showed you his tender mercy. You know, I, I wasn't particularly interested in doing all this stuff and being a part of it. I, 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 I thought, I'm just going to have a nice, normal life. But that didn't work out because he came. And I'll tell you what, I have seen such wonders of God's mercy, I can hardly begin to tell you all. I mean, I've seen things, if I hadn't seen them myself, I wouldn't believe them. I've seen wonders and mercies in so many ways. Healings and signs. I've seen what people's lives changed. I've seen God's faithfulness in my family over many years. All of it because he came. And that's the message of the gospel, that he came, that Jesus came. And he's here to start the process of making right everything that's wrong in the world because of his tender mercy he came second of all he brought us back from captivity Zechariah sang about how God redeemed his people and saved them he bought them back because they were slaves like if you're a slave and you're suffering in slavery your savior is the person who comes and pays money and sets you free. Well, we were slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to greed and lust, slaves to fear, slaves to despair, slaves to the powers of evil. But because of his tender mercy, our God bought us back and set us free. There's a great story in C.S. Lewis's uh, book, Voyage of the Don Trotter, which is part of the same series that Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is. And there's a young boy named Eustace who, because of his greed, is transformed into a dragon. And he's in constant pain. He's helpless. He tries using his own claws to tear off his dragon skin. But every time he does, there's another dragon skin underneath. And... His, he cries and roars, but nothing seems to help until the Christ figure, Aslan the lion, appears who sets him free and restores him to being a young boy instead of a dragon. And I love that story because it's so true to our story. The truth is, that could be my story or it could be your story. There, there's a little dragon in all of us. Huh? If you think about it, there's a little dragon in all of us, and it so easily captures us and enslaves us. But because of the tender mercy of our God, we've been saved and brought back from captivity. We've been set free with the blood price that Jesus the Messiah paid on a Roman cross of death. 
And if you find yourself in captivity still, you need to know how eager he is to set you free, how much tender mercy he has to set you free. It's sort of, he's so eager to go there if he gets any opening to set you free. About 30 years ago, I was at a conference in England and uh, we were praying for people for healing and there was an older woman at the time, at least I thought she was a lot older, she was probably about the age I am now, close to 70, which doesn't seem old to me anymore, but um, 30 years ago it seemed old. Anyway, she was there and she had a problem with her neck and we were praying for her neck and long story short, we started feeling like there was something else that God was doing. She started, there, some other things started happening besides the healing for her neck. And so we took her and her husband in a more private room and we were getting ready to start praying for her again. And she sat in the chair and the Holy Spirit just came on her really powerfully before we'd even prayed. And then she started bouncing up and down in her chair, almost like a little girl sitting in a chair and pounding her fists in her lap and saying, I'm just a naughty little girl. I'm just a naughty little girl. I've always been just a naughty little girl. And you know what that was. That was sort of the lie that had controlled her life for 50 years. And the Holy Spirit was exposing it, like bringing it right out. Long story short, within a very short period of time, without us directing it, or even quite at first realizing what was happening, Jesus set that lady free from the trauma and the hurt and the pain and the lie that came out of being raped when she was a little girl. And it had affected her entire life, all of her relationships. And when it was all done, her husband stands there crying saying we always knew something was wrong but could never figure out what it was. And Jesus set her free. He's in the business of setting people free. He loves to set people free because he has this tender mercy towards us when we're in trouble. All you got to do is call out to him and ask him to set you free, and he'll be there for you. He'll do it. Third, we see his tender mercy because he brought forgiveness of sins. John was to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the promised one who would bring salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And we need forgiveness. A lot of it. You know, at one point, a couple of years ago, a friend wrote this to me. This is what he said. Our sins are many, I think we all acknowledge that. If we just look out at the world for even a brief moment, we will see acts of great evil, the likes of which we intuitively know should not be. For some of us, the first thing we see when we open our eyes is evil. Wickedness surrounds us, but not only does it surround us, it lives deep within us. Some days I am amazed by the sheer amount of evil I can conjure up in my mind and my heart. 
I not only see sin external to myself, I see it plaguing my innermost thoughts and desires. And sometimes this weight of sin feels like it is too much to bear. Sometimes it feels like the weight of evil can no longer be carried. Sometimes it feels like all I want is to be forgiven for the ways I've hurt myself and others, but no forgiveness is available to me. And that is where I'm wrong. He says, the mercy of God, should we drink from it, consumes sin and bears it for us. The mercy of God forgives sin and cleanses us of it. The mercy of God overflows sin and washes away its sin. Because as, he said, St. Tikhon, who lived centuries ago, said, and this is the zinger, there is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. Huh? Amen? There's more mercy in God than there's sin in us. Hang on to that one. There's more mercy in God than there is sin in us. Yes, our sins are many, but God's mercy is greater still. A couple years ago, a man came in, an older man, in his 70s now, and he came up to me middle of the week, and he says, you know, 50 years ago, I was kind of part of a gang, and as part of this gang, there was a shooting, and somebody was killed. And I feel like, I, you know, I was part of the culpable group, and it was kind of a murky thing. He wasn't sure who it was, and wasn't necessarily sure it was him, but he was part of that group. And he says, do you think God could forgive me? And I said, not only does he forgive you, but the Bible says that our sins and our evil deeds he no longer remembers. And he walked out of the building shouting praises to God because he'd carried that for 50 years. Like, oh gosh, what did I do? How, how did I get into this? And you know what? There's more mercy in God than there's sin in you. No matter what you've done, or what you've left undone, no matter how much you failed yourself and others, there's more than enough forgiveness to cover it all. When God forgiveness, he remembers our sins no more. For eternity, they're covered. And that's the measure of the tender mercy of our God. Lastly, number four, we see his tender mercy because he sent the rising sun. Zechariah sang of the rising sun, and in doing so, he was remembering the words of the last prophet that they had heard from 400 years previously, the prophet Malachi, who wrote in Malachi 4.2, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves." Because of the tender mercy of our God, the Son of Righteousness has come. Jesus Christ has risen with healing flooding out from him. Healing and more healing and more healing. Restoration that will cause us to frolic. Healing of all of our disappointments. 
healing of all of our brokenness, healing of all our divisions, healing of all of our fear, healing of our souls, healing of our hearts, healing for our bodies, healing for all that we need, healing even for creation itself. Even before the resurrection, there was healing. But with the resurrection, our ultimate healing is assured because one day our mortal bodies will be healed and raised into immortality and glory because of the tender mercy of our God. And every time we see a physical healing happen, and I've seen thousands, it's a sign that says the promises are true that one day we will be raised into glory and he will guide us into peace that is shalom, the state of well-being and goodness that our hearts so much long for. So let us give thanks for the tender mercy of our God and show it by giving him our lives as exhibits of the power of the tender mercy of our God. Why don't you stand and I'm going to pray for you. Bands can come back up. Lord God, I just pray that you will pour out your tender mercy on each person who's in this room this morning. Would you touch every place of despair would you touch every place of fear with your mercy? Would you set the captives free? Would you shine your light of hope in every mind and every heart? Lord, would you pour out your mercy on the trouble that they are experiencing now in their family or at work or wherever it is, Lord, whatever trouble they're experiencing, Pour out your mercy, Jesus. Bring your spirit and fill us with your spirit to know the power, the greatness, and the joy of your tender mercy today. Amen. Thank you, Steve. This is our opportunity to respond to the Lord. We're going to worship together. And uh, we do have people who are trained. Our, our, prayer, our prayer team people are trained. If you're on that team, we welcome you to come forward and make yourself available to pray for people. Thank you. You're awesome. It's really good to pay attention that if the Lord is moving on your heart, as Steve was talking, that tends to be the Lord saying, I want to do that in you. So whether you're, um, whether you're staying there and saying yes to God or coming forward and saying, I want somebody to support and ask God to do what God is starting to do in my heart, uh, I bless you to do that. You could do both of those things. We do believe God heals today. But having um, you know, voices and hearts gathered together in Christ's name and saying, God, would you provide that job? Would you provide this you know, help in my family? Would you encourage my heart? We believe it makes a difference. It's made a difference in my life. So we welcome you to come forward and get some prayer. These people are trained and they're awesome. And, uh, and God, we just ask that we'd have the ability to say yes to you.
yes to you for the first time or yes to you again today.